My guess is that most of you did not know that every single year in this country, 20,000 people are rushed to the ER for injuries sustained while falling out of bed. <laughs> did you know that? I didn't know that either. Each year, many, many people are struck by lightning. 40 to 50 are actually killed every year because they're struck by lightning, which seems to be like an easy fix. Like if there's a storm, get out of the pool, <laughs> don't go golfing, you know, go, get inside. But apparently that's, that's a tough one. Um, we have a one in 12 chance every year as an average, the average American has a one in 12 chance of being in a car accident, a one in 77 chance of having a heart attack if you're over the age of 35, a one in 100 chance, this one's interesting, a one in 100 chance every year of fracturing your skull. Who knew? <laughs> you have a one in 261 chance of being attacked by someone with a deadly weapon. You have a one in four million chance of being killed by a shark. How about that? Every single year, two people die because the vending machine fell on them. <laughs> 2.18 people, to be exact. I guess they get really mad and they shake it and it falls on them, right? Every year, we, well, we have a one in 5.4 million chance of dying in a plane crash. And for those of you who are scared of dogs, you can relax because you only have a one in 18 million chance that you'll be killed by a dog. Clearly, clearly no one is safe. You agree? <laughs> I mean, when you, go, you go outside, you're inside, you're in danger. You get in your car, you're in danger. You go to the mall, you're in danger. You take a walk outside, you're in danger. No one is safe. Experts who study risk management, they have come up with this term called risk lock. And risk lock is this actual condition that someone is so gripped with fear that they cannot do anything or go anywhere because they're too afraid that something is going to happen to them. Well, welcome to Emmanuel. My name is Danny, and we're in a series right now called Savage Jesus. We're actually wrapping up this series right now, and I'd like to welcome everyone here at the Greenwood campus, our Vanta campus, our Franklin campus, our online campus at the Theodore House. Can we welcome everyone watching right now online as well? I hope this series has been a blessing to you. Savage Jesus, we've been talking about this concept of who Jesus is and what he's like. Most of us have grown up with a sanitized version of Jesus. He's kind, he's gentle, he's loving, he's compassionate, he's tender. The little children love to come to him. He loves to hold the little lambs in his arms. And all of that is true. But there's this other side of Jesus that can only be described as, well, savage. Meaning, not brutally violent, but that's the way we used to use the word years ago. But today the word is used more to describe someone who is bold and, and takes risks and someone that is brave and someone that is willing to do things without considering what other people think. And he's willing to do things that are countercultural. And that's Jesus. And we've, we've seen him do things like that in the New Testament. We don't, we don't talk about this other side of Jesus. But it's important that we do because our vision of Jesus really does shape our faith, meaning this, that the way we perceive him or understand him determines how we're going to relate to him. How much are we gonna follow him? How much are we gonna obey him? How much are we gonna trust him? Well, is he trustworthy? Is, can I really turn to him with all of my life and all of my problems and all of my issues? Can he handle that? And we turn it, as it turns out, yes, he can. And so our vision of, really does shape, our vision of Jesus really does shape 
our faith. So today we're going to look at a story that's going to help us with fear, because fear can cause us to be paralyzed. Fear can cause us to, to lock up and try to play it safe in our lives. And, and before we get into this story in Matthew chapter 14, I want to give you the big idea of the story. And I usually don't do this. I usually kind of wait until we get into the story and then through the story I, I show you what the big idea is. But I'm going to give it to you up front today and then kind of teach through this story. You ready for it? Here's the big idea of this story in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus created you to do the impossible. He created you to do the impossible. I know that sounds odd. I know that sounds weird. It might even sound heretical, but it is absolutely true. Jesus actually said it with his own words in John chapter 14. He said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. Which sounds a little bit crazy. What? You healed people, you resurrected people from the dead, you touched, healed blind people, lepers, le people with leprosy, like you, we're, like, we're going to do the same, like you cast out demons, we're going to do the same things you did, that's crazy, and then he takes it a step further and he says this, and even greater works because I am going to the Father, wow. What an incredible, this is probably one of the most savage things Jesus has ever said in the entire Bible. You will do the same works that I have done and even greater works. Jesus invites you and I into a life of the impossible. In fact, it starts right, if you, if you read the New Testament, it starts right from the beginning in Acts chapter 1. Jesus says, hey, before I go up and ascend to my father, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to wait there and, and, and something's going to happen. Someone's going to come to you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, but you will receive, say it with me, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. To do what? To do things that you cannot do by yourself. Like there's going to be an outside source of power that's going to enter your life. It's going to help you do the supernatural. It's going to help you to do the impossible. It's going to help you to do what you cannot do by yourself and your own power. That's Christianity, folks. Christianity is a supernatural existence. It's a life of doing the impossible. But very few of us actually experience that because of this thing called fear. Fear locks us up. Fear paralyzes us. In fact, in your notes, I wrote it like this. Fear blocks you from doing the impossible. <gasps> I can't do that. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough experience. What if I fail? What if they reject me? What if I mess it up? What will other people think? Fear of this, fear of that. And because of fear, we hold back and we fail to do the impossible. We fail to live the grand adventure of the supernatural life that Jesus invites us into. So the story we're going to look at today is going to help us to overcome fear. I know some of you deal with fear in a much more severe way, and some of you kind of in a mediocre way, and some of you not so much at all. But this story is going to help each and every one of us, no matter where you are on the level of dealing with fear. So Matthew chapter 14, let me give you a little context of what just happened. Jesus has just done something incredible. He's turned uh, five 
five loaves of bread and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 people. His disciples are helping him to feed all these people. And it's this grand miracle that takes place. And then everybody's tired and Jesus wants to be by himself. So he sends all of the people home and he sends his disciples out on a boat and he goes up into the wilderness to pray and to be by himself with his father. So that's kind of what just took place. And, and that's where we're gonna pick up the story of Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 24. Check this out. Meanwhile, while Jesus was by himself up in the woods, the disciples were in trouble, far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen up and they were fighting heavy waves. This, this, waves. this would happen in the Sea of Galilee. Often these storms would come out of nowhere. And isn't that life, by the way? Have you noticed? We go through these great moments and it's so exciting and things to, like they just saw 5,000 people get fed and, and, and we just had Easter weekend last week and sometimes you have these great moments, we have these great moments of highs and then they're followed by what? More problems. <laughs> Is this life? Has anyone lived long enough to experience this? Everything was going just fine and now there's a storm or we just, you know, they just decided to downsize at work and so my position got eliminated or so-and-so just got diagnosed with cancer. Everything was doing well. It's just fine. Or my husband just found out he cheated on me or my wife just, found, you know, she wants to leave me and everything was going just fine and now this. Isn't that life? It's never like this or up and to the right all the time. It's more like this. Yes? It was like that for the disciples. So everything was going great. All of a sudden, this storm comes out of nowhere. Thankfully, Jesus loves us. He cares for us. He cares for them. So he decides to go to them. Listen, about three o'clock in the morning. Isn't it odd sometimes that Jesus tends to help us at weird, weird moments? Three, why didn't he come at, I don't know, 10 o'clock? <laughs> comes at three o'clock in the morning. And it's interesting. Listen to what it says. Three o'clock in the morning, he, Jesus came to them walking on the water. I've read the Bible many times. I read through it each year. I come to this story in the Gospels and I tend to just kind of read on by. But listen to these words. Jesus walked on the water. Think about that for a second. How often have you just read right past that or you heard, a, you heard that and just, just go, oh, yeah, he's Jesus, of course. Think about what he had to do. He either had to change the molecular structure of the water and turn it into a solid, or, or he had to suspend the laws of gravity, or he had to change something about his body weight to kind of make it possible for him to, this is completely savage, yes or no? Like, this is crazy. You don't do this. You don't walk on the water. Nobody does that. He comes to them walking on the water. Scary. And, and, it, and it proves to be very scary. Look, what, look at the response of the disciples. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were, say with me, terrified. Of course they were. And in their fear, now remember what fear does. Fear blocks us from doing the impossible, right? Fear paralyzes us. It stops us from reaching our God-ordained potential. In their fear, they yell out, it's a ghost, right? They're, they don't know what's going on. And by the way, he wasn't walking on the water. He was surfing, wasn't he? Because remember, there's a storm and the waves, the, the waves are hitting the boat and the boat is rocking and the boys in the boat are hanging on for dear life. And Jesus isn't walking on the water like we see in the children's books. Jesus is surfing on the water. And he's not only surfing, he's walking and surfing at the same time, up and down. And they freak out. What is that? It's a ghost. And because Jesus knows the damaging effects of fear, Immediately, watch what he does. He doesn't hesitate. 
But when Jesus spoke, Jesus spoke to them at once and he says, do not be afraid. Rid yourself of fear. Fear is going to do nothing but prevent you and block you from doing the impossible in your life. Do not be afraid. To which we would say, oh, that's fine. You can say that all you want. You've probably heard me say that before. You've probably told your kids to say, don't be afraid. You've probably heard your parents say, don't be afraid. It's so nice to hear somebody say, don't be afraid. And then you think, have you seen the storm? Have you seen the water coming in the boat? Did you hear about the diagnosis? Did you really, I don't have a job anymore. My husband is leaving me. Like, are you sick? Like there is lots of reasons to be afraid. I don't know how I'm gonna retire. I don't know how this is gonna work out. Jesus says, don't be afraid. And, and, and they must have been like, what? The storm is raging. We might die. It's easy to say to somebody, don't be afraid. It's harder to figure out how to overcome fear. How do we actually do this? In your notes, I wrote it like this. You overcome fear with faith. We overcome fear with faith. Look at what Jesus says. He says, do not be afraid. And the very next statement, Jesus says, take courage. I am here. I am is here. If you're a reader of the Bible, you'll probably remember this story. God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and, you know, tells him, you're going to let my people go. And, and Moses is kind of playing this scenario out in his head. He's like, this is not going to work. <laughs> Moses says to God, uh, God, when I go to Pharaoh, who should I tell him that sent me? You remember what God's response was? Moses, you tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. What does that mean? Everyone ever thought that? What is I am? That's, that's the name that God gives himself. I am. Tell, tell Pharaoh, I am is the one that sent you. What does that mean? I've thought about this for a long time. You know what I think it means? I think it means the self-existent one. The only eternal being in the universe. And the only way you can describe that is I am. I always have been. I never had a beginning. Everything else you see in the world or in the universe had a beginning point except for me. I am eternal. The other day I was having a conversation with my 13-year-old daughter. And she was asking me this question like, Daddy, what does it mean for God to, to be eternal? And I said, honey, it's a hard concept, but it's this idea that, that he never had a beginning. He always was. And I said, I know that's hard to, to understand because everything we see with the naked eye had a starting point. It wasn't here, and then it was here, except for God. And I told her, I said, listen, if someone created God, then that someone or something is God because God, by definition, is eternal. He is the great I am. Jesus says, take courage because I am is here. You understand what I'm saying? And that is, that is faith. Faith in Jesus is saying, you need to trust in me. You know, how you, you know how you overcome fear? You put your trust in the eternal one, the self-existent one, the great I am. What is faith? Faith is so hard to get your, your brain wrapped around. It is for me, at least. So many definitions of faith are out there, and I've put one together myself based on what the Bible says and what some other authors have said in my own understanding. Faith is resting your whole self 
your whole self, your whole your hopes and dreams and your, your, your past and your present and your future and your emotions and your thought processes and your circumstances, your whole self, your mind and your will, your desires and your loves and your hates. It's faith is resting your whole self completely with expectation and hope upon the competence and goodness of God. Meaning this, that God, I trust that you're able to figure this situation out. And that's how I'm going to overcome the fear. The fear is like, look at the waves. Oh my gosh, we're dead. No, 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 time out. God is competent. Oh, how I wish my kids would believe in my competence a little bit more. Yes? Any parents out there? If you just knew what I'm capable of, child, <laughs> if you knew what I could do for you, if you would just trust in my goodness, like I am a good father. I know it doesn't feel that way right now, but I have your best interests at heart and I'm fully competent and you're not trusting me and it drives me crazy as a father. How about you? Anybody? Faith is saying, God, I put my full self, I rest it on your competence and your goodness in this situation. And that allows me to overcome the fear of the circumstances and the storms and what's going on. This is what God told Joshua when Joshua was ready to go into the promised land. He took over from Moses and there's people in the land, the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jezebites and all those ites. Remember the ites? Any Bible readers? And they're big people and they've got fortified walls and it's, and it's a tough task. And Joshua's been charged with, with, a, with a group of people who have never fought a battle before. And he's like, you're going to go in and you're going to take the land. Well, Joshua had reason to be afraid. Listen to what God says to Joshua. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Doesn't that sound like the person that day who was surfing the waves? Maybe it was. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why? Because the Lord your God, the great I am, is with you wherever you go. The source of our faith is God himself, his competence and his goodness. And so he's on the waves, he's surfing, the, the storm is raging, take courage, don't be afraid, I am is here. And something amazing happens. Only one person responds, or at least that we know of. And what's his name? Peter, some of you know the story, it's great. Or you've read ahead in the notes. <laughs> Peter responds, and he says something savage. Listen to what Pete says. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, command me, tell me to come out to you walking on the water. What is he thinking? Listen, if I was one of the other 11 friends there, the disciples, I'd have said, Pete, shut, shh, it's a ghost. We don't even know if it's him. What are you saying right now? This is crazy talk. You're impulsive. You're irrational. You're reactive. Sit down and shut up. Anybody else? Pete's like, no, I'm going for it. I was reading John Orberg's fantastic book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. His perspective on this passage is that Peter saw an opportunity. Why did he say, call, command me, call me out? I want to be, Peter saw an opportunity what, for, to do what? To exercise his faith, 
to do the impossible. Jesus has created you and me to do the impossible. He's invited us into a supernatural adventure and Peter finally gets it. He remembered the five loaves and the two fish and he saw the miracle and he's like, look, if this is what's gonna happen, I wanna be involved with it. If Jesus is gonna do the miraculous, I wanna be where he is. Command me to come out on the water. I wanna serve. And he says the same thing to you and he says the same thing to me today. Listen to Jesus' amazing, savage response. Jesus says, yes, the answer is yes. You may come out to me. What does that reveal about Jesus? That he wants you to do the miraculous. He's inviting you to do the miraculous, to do the impossible. He wants to give you the strength and empower you to do the impossible. And so what does Peter do? He steps out. And he went over the side of the boat. Now, again, if I was in the boat with Pete and I was one of the 11, I would have grabbed his leg. I would have said, no, Pete, don't do it. If you, you're going you're gonna to what? Drown. Because people don't walk on water. Human beings, this is, this is, we don't even know if it's really him. It's a ghost. Like, what are you doing? You're crazy. I would have grabbed his leg. I would have scratched at him. I would have tried to keep him in the boat. That's just me. I don't know. Trying to protect my friends. Pete's like shaking me off. Get off of me. <laughs> Steps over and Peter does the miraculous. He walks on the water towards Jesus. Totally savage. No one has ever done this before. In the history of the human race. And no one has done it since. Except for Morgan Freeman and Jim Carrey. You remember that movie? It's a good one. Unmade does the impossible. Why? Because he was willing to join Jesus where he was. He was willing to put his full self with expectation and hope upon the competence and goodness of God. Now, what am I asking you to do? Am I asking you to go home and fill up your bathtub with water and try to walk on the... No, that's not the application. I'm asking you to trust Jesus to do the impossible. Well, what does that mean in your situation? Well, it might mean this. That for years now you've held a grudge against that family member or friend. And you've tried to forgive, but in and of yourself you don't have the strength. And you need God's power to enter into you to do the impossible, which in your situation is to extend forgiveness to that person. For some of you, it's an addiction to a substance. You've tried to give it up. And you know you need to because it's ruining your life and it's ruining your relationships. And maybe it's still a secret. You know it's going to destroy you. And you don't have the power inside of you to do it by yourself. And you need God's power to enter into you to give you the strength to overcome that addiction. For some of you, it's like the couple we saw last week, Paul and Lindsay. Their marriage broke up because of some poor choices. And they needed God to enter into their marriage to give them power to reconcile, to extend grace and forgiveness to each other. Remember that story last week? Wasn't that unbelievable? Amen. That's worth clapping for again. That's a miracle, folks. So I'm not talking about walking on water. I'm talking about power to do what you know you cannot do in your own strength right now. For some of you, it's just patience with your children. I don't have it in me. They're killing me, Lord Jesus. 
step out of my boat. Give me the, give me the power to have patience with my situation, whether it's raising children or whatever the deal is. You are being invited into a supernatural life where God empowers you to do what you cannot do by yourself. Now, it would be awesome if the story ended there, but it doesn't. Something happens, and some of you know the story. You know what happens, and I'll just read it to you. But when, when Pete was doing awesome, he's on the water, he's surfing with Jesus. When he saw the winds and the waves, which were still raging, he was, say it with me, terrified. And what does fear do? Fear blocks us from doing the impossible. Fear stops us from reaching our God-ordained potential, right? And so all of a sudden, Peter's focus is shifted from Jesus to the storm, and he begins to sink. He begins to go down. It happens to you, and it happens to me. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Peter's focus. He shifted his focus from the, from the Messiah, from Jesus to the storm. I love the Bible. It just tells it like it is. Like, it doesn't candy coat anything. Like, if, as it happens, it is recorded. Like, this is not complimentary of Peter. Like, he was doing so well, and he screwed up. He messed up. He got his eyes focused on the problems. And you and I do the same thing. We're doing well for a couple of weeks. It's awesome. And then something happens. I mean, our focus goes to that thing. And we're like, forget about Jesus. Forget about his competence. Forget about his goodness. It's going to go terrible. And we start to sink. Ever been there? Thankfully, Peter has enough faith. He, maybe he remembers the five loaves and the two fish. Maybe, maybe he just remembers the fact that he was just walking on water. Maybe he still sees Jesus as walking on the water. He has enough sense and enough faith to call out to Jesus in the moment and say, save me, Lord, save me. And in Jesus' mercy and in his grace, look what, Jesus, look what happens. Immediately, without hesitation, Jesus reached out and grabbed him. I'm so thankful that we serve a Messiah that knows that as we take steps of faith, we're going to screw up, we're going to mess up, we're going to falter, we're going to sin, we're going to get distracted by the storms. And, and he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't say, See, now stay down there for a while and learn your lesson. Grovel, drown, take some water into your lungs, and then maybe you'll learn to trust me. He doesn't do that. Immediately, in his grace and in his mercy, he grabs Peter and he pulls him up. And then he says to him, perhaps gently, maybe a little bit more stern as a father. We don't know. He says, Pete, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt? You were doing so well. You were doing something someone never did before. You were doing the miraculous. You were doing the impossible. And you got distracted by the storms. Why did you doubt me? To which, if that were me, I would have been like, I have small faith. Small faith. What about the boys in the boat? <laughs> you know, they're back here going, Pete, don't get out. We're going to die. And I have small faith. At least I had enough faith to step out of the boat and try something. And, and you say, you know, but Peter didn't argue with Jesus. I probably wouldn't have either because that's not a good idea. But you're going to win that argument. He did the impossible. He could have kept going. He got distracted. It happens to me. It happens to you. Now, some people look at this story and they think, oh, this is a story of failure. Look, he messed up. He was doing so well. And I would not make that mistake if I were you. This is a story of raging success. Peter did the impossible. He did what he could not do in his own strength. He walked 
on water. And why did he walk on water? Because he rested his whole life, his whole self, with expectation and hope upon the competence and goodness of Jesus. And he did the impossible. The only question is, will you? You're invited into the same journey. Will you step out in faith? See, all of us have a boat. Every one of us do. In the boat, our boat is a place of perceived safety. As we mentioned earlier, there's no safe place, ultimately. You fall out of your bed, you go to the ER, right? You don't get a snack out of the vending machine, you're trying to get it out, it kills you. <laughs> there's no such thing as a safe place, right? There's only perceived safety, and, 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 and all of us have that place, that boat. For some of us, it's a job. We don't like our job, we hate our job, but it's safe, because why? There's an income, there's benefits, there's a, you know, I don't like the people there, I don't like, I'm not using my gifts, I'm not growing, but hey, it's safe. And so we stay in it. For some of us, the boat is a relationship. And, you know, I don't really like this person. It's, this person's really not good for me. But, but, gosh, you know, if I step out of this, really, what, I'll be alone. And then what? And maybe I'll never find somebody. And so I'm just going to stay in the boat. For some of us, it's a group of friends. It's like, I know my friends aren't good for me. But, but see, you know, I mean, they, 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 they know, I know that they have different values and they're not really on the path of godliness. But, but if I leave this group of friends, who, who will I be? Well, where will I go? So we stay in the boat. For some of us, it's a habit. Well, maybe it's an alcohol habit or some other habit that we turn to and, and we know that it's hurting us and harming us and it's not gonna be, you know, long-term, it's gonna destroy our lives and maybe even our relationships, but it's, it's just that place that at least I can feel numb, at least I can feel, at least it makes my problems go away temporarily, so I'm gonna stay in the boat. For some of us, it's keeping silent. We don't open our mouths. Because if I open my mouth and, you know, then, then someone's going to disagree or reject what I have to say or think I'm stupid or so I'm just going to. For some of us, it's talking too much. This is my problem. My place, my place of perceived safety is maybe if I just keep talking, it'll work out, you know? I know, I know what I'll do. I'll just keep talking to my wife and, 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 and talk through these problems. And, and then one day she'll, see, she'll just say, oh, honey, you're so smart. You're so right. Let me just get out a notepad and, and let me write down the, the pearls of wisdom that you speak. <laughs> that hasn't happened yet, so. So what, what I've had to do is, is to stay, just learn to stay quiet in my marriage at times. Because I tend to think that, you know, if I just talk. The question I have for you today, as you consider your perceived place of safety, your boat, is will, will you step out? Will you step out? If you don't step out of your boat, you'll never do the impossible. You'll never do something that's beyond your ability. You'll never live the grand adventure that God has for you. If you do step out, you will do the impossible. Will you fail? Yeah, you will. But we have a Savior that reaches down immediately. Remember that word? Immediately. And he grabs us and he pulls us up. Will you step out of your boat? If you do, you know what the result will be? The result will be worship. See, exercised faith leads to worship. I love the way this story ends. Listen to verse 31 and verse 32. 
When the disciples climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Now, what's interesting about this is that we don't know if Jesus dragged Peter through the water back to the boat like this. Come on, Pete, come on. Or he got Peter up and they walked back to the boat together on the water. We don't, we don't know. Something tells me it was the latter because he reached down and he grabbed him and he picked him up. And then somehow they made it back to the boat. And then when they, went, when they got back to the boat, the wind stopped, which was pretty savage, don't you think? Remember week one? They get back to the boat. Watch what happens next. Then the disciples worshipped him. And they said, truly, really, you are the son of God. I love this. They saw Peter do the miraculous. They saw a man walk on water and they, and they gave worship to Jesus. They saw a picture of who Jesus was through the exercised faith of Peter. Don't miss this. When you step out of your boat, when you trust God, when you rest your whole self with expectation and hope on the confidence and goodness of God and he shows up and you do something miraculous, other people will look at that and say, only God could do that. And they got down and they worshiped Jesus. They didn't worship Peter. They saw Jesus for what he really was, an empowering God, a person who gives supernatural strength to average human beings to do the impossible. Is this not incredible? They worshiped him. Last weekend after Easter, which was a fantastic weekend, I sent a text to my mom. And it was 2.14 Sunday afternoon. I said, mom, this weekend I got to preach to over 10,000 people. I'm humbled. Thank you for paving the way for me to believe in Jesus. It's amazing that I am now in a position, position to help so many people find eternal life and abundant life in Christ. I love you. Happy Easter. You know how she responded? Let me read it to you. It is awesome! Exclamation point. God's plan for your life is great. I praise God and I'm thankful that I am your mom. I love you so much. Happy Easter. You know what she didn't say in that text message? Danny, you're so gifted. <laughs> you're such a talented preacher. I'm so proud of how awesome you are. She didn't do that. You want to know why? Because she knows me. I'm her son. And she remembers when I first took over that the church went from 2,000 to 900. You remember? Some of you remember that? She knows that there's no human explanation to 10,000 people in four campuses. And she knows that that's not my doing. She, she sees what God is doing through my life. And she goes, praise be to God. I praise God. That's what happens when you decide to step out of the boat and exercise your faith. Exercised faith leads to worship. This isn't just about you. This is about letting God's glory be revealed to the world around you. In fact, when you fail to exercise your faith, you rob God from his rightful worship. When you stay in the boat like this because of the perceived safety, God fails to be seen as the son of God and he fails to be worshiped because you played it safe. Do not let that happen. Is that fair? Now, I think the best way to close today is a little worship, don't you think? 
I mean, exercise faith leads to worship. So I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to invite all of you to stand. Will you stand with me right now? All of our campuses, will you stand? And let's pray, and let's worship our God, and they'll come back and wrap us up. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this story that we can overcome our fear with faith, that we can rest our whole self with expectation and hope upon your competence, upon your goodness. You're the God who walks on water. You're the God who parts the seas. You're the God who raises the dead. You're the God who gives the blind their sight back. You're the God who heals the leper. You can do anything. You are competent and you are good and you are worthy of our worship. Receive it today. May it bring a smile to your face. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
faith is resting your whole self with expectation and hope upon the competence and goodness of God. There's some of you here today, you need to understand that God did exactly what you needed in order to be in a relationship with him. He is fully competent because of his love for you. He sent Christ to this earth to die on a cross, to be humiliated, to be beaten. They punched him in the face. They tore his beard out. They hit him over the head with a stick. They spit on him. They mocked him. They whipped him so bad he had no skin on his back. And eventually they nailed him to a cross. Why? Because that's the penalty of sin. Every single one of us are born into this world with sin. Sin separates us from God. God didn't want us to be separated. God wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. So God sent Jesus to suffer for our sins and suffer he did. Three days later though, he rose again. Is anybody excited about that? Three days later, he rose from the dead. He took his life back. Jesus said, there's no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some of you need to put your full trust and rest in the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that you can have your sins forgiven. I'm gonna say a simple prayer right now. It's not a prayer to join a church. It's not a prayer to join a religion. It's a prayer to be in fellowship, in relationship with God, to have your sins forgiven and to become his child. Some of you know you need to do that right now. And I'm gonna say that prayer. Take these words and make them your own. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I rest my entire self upon your competence and goodness. I believe you died in my place. I believe you suffered for my sin. You paid the penalty so that I could be forgiven. Wash me, cleanse me of my sin. Make me your child. And from this day forward, give me the courage and the wisdom to follow you. said amen can we give god glory all of our campuses our Bantha campus our franklin campus our online campus at the theodora house praise god for all those who trusted christ if you put your faith in christ right now whatever campus you're at online wherever you are here at the greenwood campus we want to put a new we want to put a new believer's bible in your hand it's a free gift from us to you we believe with all of our heart as you get into the word of god he begins to change the way you think and we are transformed by the renewing of our of our what of our minds as we take god's word he sets us free the truth of god's word sets us free so please grab one of these on the way out there's tables in the back of the auditorium if you trusted christ online there's a place there that says i trusted christ we'll send one of these to you in the mail can we give god glory one more time amen amen Next week, we start a brand new series called Unhurried. We all live a frantic, hectic paced life. It's not healthy for us. And so we're gonna start a brand new series looking at that, how to overcome a hurried life. You're not gonna wanna miss it, so bring your friends to that. Can I pray for us when we get out of here? Father, we love you. Thank you for sending Jesus as the gift, the gift of eternal life, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of grace. Jesus, thank you for laying your life down, for being a savage, 
for doing the difficult, hard, risky, bold thing and offering yourself as a sacrifice for sins. Help us to trust you. Help us to step out of our perceived place of safety, our boat, so that we can enter into a life of doing the impossible. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.